Hello, and welcome to the One Medicine Podcast from today's practitioner. In each episode, we share the expertise of a respected thought leader, some you'll know and others you'll probably meet for the first time. We cover topics important to you, always with a focus on improving the health outcomes of the patients you treat, while expanding your understanding of the many healing modalities being used today. Welcome to the One Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Rob Lutz, and with me today is Dr. Chris Miletus, ND. Welcome, Chris. Thank you. Glad you could join the show. Uh, Chris is a well-known expert on the endocannabinoid system. Uh, you can find a few of his chapters on today's practitioner in the Endocannabinoid Resource Center. So thank you for sharing those. And I'll share links to the site with the endocannabinoid and some of those chapters that we're, we, I mentioned, as well as a link to the book uh, that Chris has put together. It's really, in my mind, kind of a textbook about the endocannabinoid system. Very thorough, well-written, and uh, great references and so forth uh, from from your, your peers. Um, since there's so much information about the endocannabinoid system, so many directions that we could go in this conversation, and we have limited time, we've agreed to really just talk about uh, CBD and its potential applications in clinical practice. Make this more practical for our audience who are medical professionals and how do you use CBD, how you use CBD, Chris, in your practice. Um, and so before we get started and I'll stop talking so much and let you really share your knowledge, I'll give you a, a quick bio uh, for the audience on who, who is Chris. Um, and then I've got a few questions I'd like to ask my guests uh, during the course of the show and uh, we'll get to that and then we'll jump into the topic. Uh, so Dr. Chris Miletus is an educator. He's a licensed naturopath, I should point out. Uh, he's an educator, international author, and lecturer. His personal mission is changing America's health one person at a time. Uh, Chris has authored 18 books and over 200 national scientific articles and journals, including Natural Health, Alternative Complementary Therapies, Towns and Letter for Doctors and Patients, Life Extension, Natural Pharmacy, NDNR, and several journal articles on PubMed. Chris served as the Dean of Naturopathic Medicine and Chief Medical Officer for seven years for the natural, sorry, the National College of Naturopathic Medicine, now is called the National University of Natural Medicine. He was awarded the 2003 Physician of the Year by the American Association of Naturopathic Physicians. He has a deep passion for helping the underprivileged and spearheaded the creation of 16 free natural medicine healthcare clinics in the Portland metropolitan area of Oregon. And full disclosure, Chris is also, he serves as a consultant for TrueGen3, who's the sponsor of the Endocannabinoid Resource Center on Today's Practitioner, and also for TrueNiogen. So Chris, um, again, before we jump into the topic here, uh, there are three questions I'd like to ask my guests. And uh, first is, what do you call the type of medicine that you practice? And what would be three key attributes? Oh, well, that's an interesting and you know, complex question. So of course, I'm a naturopathic physician, so I practice naturopathic medicine. Um, with the advent of functional medicine in that term, a lot of people are entering into the truly the world naturopathic medicine, and now we call it more globally and inclusively functional medicine. So mm -hmm. we're not dividing ourselves by titles, but we're actually unifying more by philosophy. So I would say I'm a naturopathic physician with functional medicine um, focus, and really what is functional medicine? It's working within the constructs of the human body, supporting it, and most of the time getting out of the way of what the body already wants to do to maintain homeostasis. Mm -hmm. So whether it be nutrition, botanical medicine, diet, lifestyle. And one of the things I mentioned to 
the larger audiences I speak to is I compare genetics and epigenetics as we have diet and we have lifestyle. And in between diet and lifestyle, there's some gaps. That's like the tiles on a kitchen counter or bathroom floor. We fill that crack with supplements like grout, but they're called supplements and not substitutes. So we're working within the constructs of the human body, supporting it, and at the same time, getting out of the way of the human body and its infinite wisdom. Great. Thank you. That, that's a great, great answer. Um, so you're a naturopathic physician. Uh, what led, led you towards naturopathic medicine rather than becoming a conventional MD? Clearly, you probably could have done that as well if you wanted to. Yeah. So an um, interesting story on that one. It's a long one. I'll try to keep it brief. So I actually started my life. I went to Reed College, undergraduate, um, liberal arts, Ivy League school here in Oregon. And then my very Greek father, and if any of you have watched my Big Fat Greek Wedding, you know that it's a very dictatorial, hey, this is how it is. And indeed, most things are probably Greek-rooted, if not Latin. Um, but that's a whole other conversation. And for those that haven't watched my Big Fat Greek Wedding, if you watch it, you'll know, know what I'm talking about. So my dad came as an immigrant, just like my mom did, to the United States, uh, met in the park blocks of Portland, Oregon. Voila, I came, and here I am. And so, but my dad said, you're become a doctor. And there was no question I had to become a doctor. It's just that's the structure of that's the Greek culture. Yeah. yeah, it's going to happen. So I actually said, well, okay, I'll become a doctor. And, you know, he said, well, you should, and my dad was very economically driven. You know, if you become this, you'll make this much money. If you make this, become this. So actually, I went and applied and got accepted to MD Medical School, finished my first two years of basic sciences, and came back during the summer, ready to start doing hospital rotations, my third and fourth year clinical stuff. And my sister was dating this gentleman. And this gentleman said, oh, you had a class in nutrition, did you? <laughs> and so, and he had, without a question, still to this day, has a lot more testosterone than I do. And so he double dared me. He said, let me just give you lip service to that class in nutrition in MD Medical School. Why aren't you becoming a naturopathic doctor? Kind of just like that. Yeah. And back in the day, this was um, 1990. He says, I said, well, what's a naturopathic doctor? I knew what chiropractic was, but I was a Kaiser Permanente kid. I was an HMO kid. And so all I knew was allopathic medicine. That's all right. I knew. And whatever was back from the Greek village, like eat this herb. But that was, you know, the Greek culture thing. Yeah. Because my dad would go to Greece every year. And it's like, okay. So I said, oh, you're talking about chiropractic. He says, no, I'm not. And he says, he says, and he ripped open the telephone book with some bravado and testosterone and says, see two different addresses, Western States Chiropractic, National College of Naturopathic Medicine. And I'm going, okay. He said, but you're just giving lip service. Don't even bother waste my time. So he ends up going and into Oregon Health Science University, local medical school. And I said, well, I'm going to go check it out. He double dared me. I had yeah. to take up had the to do it. Yeah. Had to do it. And so lo and behold, I checked out the National College, which was at the time way out on the east side of town. And so well, this is kind of interesting. This kind of speaks to the concept and the dilemma I had when I was in medical school. I actually ended up talking to the professor of nutrition, because once again, I'm a recall graduate, I'm, I'm taught to expand and wonder and question everything. I said, can I just practice like natural intervention on biochemical pathways? Because in MD school, at the same time as taking nutrition, there's physiology class, biochemistry class, pharmacology class, and they're all talking about nicotinamide pathways and enzymes and this and that. And I said, that's what we're learning about with vitamin B3. And I'm going like, he said, yeah, if you want to lose your license, this was before Andrew Weil and Deepak right. Chopra yeah. and Dr. Oz and you name the, the list of people that have now helped us all become more accepted mm -hmm. and the concept more widely uh, appreciated. And so I applied, I transferred in with Advanced Standing, became 
the Dean of Naturopathic Medicine in 1996. And shortly thereafter, the now ex-boyfriend becomes and becomes a student at the Naturopathic College. It, the bravado continued from there. But hey, it's yeah. like fun story. So I, I started in allopathic medicine. I appreciate all the science. Of course. And the beauty now is what? The science has proven what we've always yeah. believed in naturopathic right. medicine and functional medicine. It's like, wow, it's panning out. There is, once again, wisdom in nature. Absolutely. Yeah, I think about some of the, you know, traditional medicine, traditional Chinese medicine, Ayurvedic, and, you know, those are things that have been practiced and used for thousands of years, right? And there was no multi-million dollar marketing department, uh, you know, convincing everyone that it should be what you're taking. It was, this is what worked. This is what helped the the people become healthier and, and uh, manage some disease. Yep. So thanks for that story. And then the the last question I have is, you know, we talked about naturopathic medicine, integrative, conventional, functional. Is there a unifying principle you think that runs through all those types of modalities? Is there one thing that really kind of ties them all together? I think applied observational empirical wisdom. Mm -hmm. um, like you mentioned Chinese medicine, there's Ayurveda, of course, as well. And so there's all these aspects of the truth, even though people didn't know, they see and they observe. And one of the big problems we have and lots of times my patients will ask this question, I think it captures your question, is, well, why didn't I see that? Because we're distracted in today's mm -hmm. modern world. Indigenous people, and of course, with my Greek background, I'll mention Hippocrates. You know, Hippocrates has been quoted as, well, food is your medicine, and may your medicine be your food, and all disease begins in the gut. Both of which are tenets which we can pretty much, pretty much prove these days. Yeah. But if you think about it, he probably was wandering around Greece. He came home, and he says, I feel terrible, the hot Mediterranean sun. So his significant other said, hey, we like some food. Oh, this makes me feel better. This is medicine. And so, you know, he got yeah. the quote. It was probably her that gave the idea. And <laughs> the same thing, like, my tummy hurts. And, and once again, when your tummy hurts, pretty miserable human beings. So I think the concept is empirical observational medicine as demonstrated over the millennia. I think that's really where the medicine is at. Mm -hmm. And across the board, all, all fields, all aspects. And there's a truth in everything. And Lucriticus um, a Roman philosopher said, um, truth begets truth. Mm -hmm. He was also the same one that was quoted, um, what is food for one is poison to the other. True, very true. Well, thank you for that. I, I, I love the answers to those questions. Um, so we're going to jump in. We're going to talk about CBD, uh, practical applications, how and how you use it in your practice. Um, so I, I think that's where we're going to focus over the next 40 minutes or so. Um, so... I'm looking through, you know, some of the questions you you posed here for me to to make sure we're asking. But talk to me a little bit of how you use CBD in your practice. What? Uh... So about a decade ago, I started using CBD in my practice. Of course, the farm bill and making it legal and taking away some of the jurisdictional issues was helpful because otherwise it was kind of thrown into overall cannabis sativa category, which of course at the federal level has still some questionable. Um, legal applications to it. Mm -hmm. So even though, of course, in clinical practice, it pans out quite well. So I started using CBD and I started doing the research into CBD and I realized that we have an endocannabinoid system. I mean, thanks to Machulam and the work out of Israel and some other places, the Czech Republic, also there's some parallel work that was being done. You know, they have been doing work on THC, but they realized like, wow, we have a system. It's called the endocannabinoid system. Say, some say cannabinoid system. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, if we have this, well, what about the receptors? And what really caught my attention is when they started talking about how NSAIDs work. 
and non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs like ibuprofen, naproxen, mm -hmm. and so forth. And we always say, well, it works on this mechanism. And one of the things I learned in the early 90s is applying a herb from a quasi-pharmaceutical perspective, mm -hmm. it's just that quasi-pharmaceutical. There's a full array. And of course, in the THC world, we call it the entourage effect. Right. And the hemp world, they've adopted the term hemptourage effect mm -hmm. to kind of allow the same concept. Yeah. And so now it's like, hmm, how do insects really work? And when I started reading that insects, in part, particularly the cyclooxygenase, the Cox uh, meds, they actually inhibit FA, F-A-A-H, and FA within our body, an enzyme, actually breaks down anatomide. Of course, we know the word anata mm -hmm. in Sanskrit means bliss. So this is our bliss, our stress. So are we stressed out? Yes. My undergraduate thesis was on psychosocial stress and immunosuppression. So I was kind of already wired for that natural medicine thing even yeah. before I knew about natural medicine. And I'm kind of like, well, if that's an enzyme that's working and we have this endocaminoid system, we also have 2-AG and we have TRPV1 and 5-H1AA and all this in our body. It's like, well, if we have all these receptors for CBD, shouldn't we be using it? So that's how I started applying it. So I use it a lot for stress. I use it a lot for adrenals. I use it for inflammation. And I believe there is such a thing as an endocannabinoid tone and an endocannabinoid deficiency. Mm -hmm. So just like we could get tired of working out and right before we started, you mentioned bicycling a lot and skiing and all yeah. of this. It, it takes energy. It takes biochemical pathways. And so if we have a biochemical pathway in our body, why aren't we using it? And mm -hmm. It's the same thing when I graduated in 1990, we learned about berberine and golden seal. So Oregon grape, now known as Mahonia, and berberis vulgaris. And it's like, okay, well, it works because it's antimicrobial. We kind of lose sight of the fact that it has PPR the PPAR, um, the PAR pathways and other pathways at which it works. So on the endocannabinoid side of things, why not support it? So I've been using it for stress, mm -hmm. sleep, pain, inflammation, and also as part of a overall, and we'll probably talk more about this today, adrenal support. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is something I, I want to make sure we talk about is adrenal support. Um, you know, one thing I've heard about is there are other botanicals that support the endocannabinoid system mm -hmm. right so like echinacea is it the cb1 or cb2 receptor um so it's, it seems like there are a lot of other plants that have a, a substance or a cannabinoid within them that would support that system as well is that right. true well correct and just like yeah. in the world of the cannabis sativa or cannabis indica there's a lot of terpenes mm -hmm. and a lot of plants have the same terpenes and we're so linear and we're like plow horses down the uh, field with our little blinders on. And I didn't finish my train of thought. And back in the 1990s, they said, well, St. John's work works by hypericin. And there's a right. big, you might remember this. Yeah. Well, St. John's work might be as effective for mild to moderate depression as Prozac. And then that next year, there's a 42,000% increase on right. retail sales of St. John's work. Yeah. And then they say, well, they backed away a little bit. They said, well, maybe it wasn't hypericin, maybe it was hyperforin. Like, no, we, we're trying to make everything into trying a little reductionism, category. right? Trying to get it into almost like a pharma model. Yeah. And yeah, like, no, I mean, you think about St. John's wort and beautiful little flower. And if you ever find St. John's wort growing and you squeeze a little um, pink um, or not pink flowers, the little yellow flowers, uh -huh. it actually will stain your hands purple like blood. Wow. And you know, so you have to think, hmm, that's kind of interesting. Imagine Hilda up in the Swiss Alps or Germanic Alps. And like, oh, so-and-so is very sad. Let me give her some little flowers. She nibbles on the little yellow flowers and uh, plant. 
And she said, well, I'm not quite as unhappy. How yeah. did medicine get discovered? Yeah. And you and I started um, before we started recording about Lewis and Clark. Mm -hmm. I mean, indigenous people have been trying to be part yes. of and communing with the land for a long time. And this is how so much more ahead. observant, right? Well, much more observant and yeah. much less distracted. We're yeah. a very distracted society. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So that that's interesting. We will get back and talk more about the, uh, you know, adrenal and how you're using CBD. I'm curious, do you ever combine CBD or hemp oil with any other botanicals, you know, in, in your treatment with a patient? Oh, yeah. Well, when I'm doing something, once again, one shoe doesn't fit all. We've all came to our current state, however old we are bio biologically, chronologically. When our patients come to us, they come in their state of fixed and brokenness. Mm -hmm. And so we're looking to support various pathways. I'll add turmeric a lot. I'll um, do things like boswellia, serrata. Um, sometimes I'll use systemic enzymes. So it's really trying to categorize things. And mm -hmm. I have a dear family member, which has a lot of inflammation, has autoimmune Hashimoto's disease, but also has the gene called a PAI1 gene, which is life-threatening and causes life-threatening blood clots. Wow. And as the universe speaks. And I guess when we talk about functional medicine, we talk about mind, body, and spirit. So I was giving a lecture, my dear family member, which I was actually giving heparin injections for because they were within 24 hours of dying. They had a clot from their ankle to the popliteal fossa in the back of the knee, and then from the knee all the way into the groin and about the size of a hot dog in terms of a blood clot you could palpate. So wow. I ended up having another family member give the injections while we were stabilizing the clot. And so I give this lecture and... After giving this lecture down at A4M conference in Vegas, this was about six or seven years ago, lots of people will ask you questions after you give a little talk. And mm -hmm. this one person just sat down while I was talking to another person and said, I'm just here to listen. And so I, I said, well, okay, after the person left, I said, so what do you do? He says, I'm a thrombotic specialist. Hmm. Well, what's it like that a thrombotic specialist would be sitting with me? And I'm, you know, I was this close before I yeah. flew out of losing a dear family member. Yeah. And I, he's, I said, well, if you don't have any questions for me, can I ask you a question? He said, sure. I had said, I have a family member. They have a clot. Do they smoke? No. Um, are they vegetarian? I said, yeah, actually, they are vegetarian. Um, are they on birth control? No. And it went, the list goes on. And I answer the question. He says, they have a PAI1, um, 4GG polymorphism. I'm like, what? Never heard of PI1. You know, I know about MGHF. Yeah. I know about other clotting factors. But once again, how the universe works and that separation mm -hmm. of things. And so in that case of that particular patient, I'll, I, that person uses CBD along with ashwagandha, some other things, but they're using a systemic enzyme on a daily basis. So that would be different than a person that comes in and they just have a super high C-reactive protein or leucine 6 Then I'm going to do, use more turmeric and essential fatty acids. So yeah. I kind of, we all meet our patients where they're at. Yeah. And it's what I call common thread prescribing. Uh -huh. So there's going to be all these little tick boxes as we take our little history and how they got to where they are they're like okay no this person doesn't have the essential fatty acids in the case of the blood clot person also um they're vegetarian strict vegetarian and they yeah. detest fish the last time they ate fish was fish sticks when they were a little kid and they were forced to eat them yeah so yeah and, and i'm curious so do you think there's any is there some kind of a synergy that happens that makes those other botanicals more effective with the patient because of the cbd or are they just really kind of working separately is there any synergies that's happening there I think both. Um, yeah. So like, let's look at capsation. Capsation, mm -hmm. of course, cayenne. And so when I was 26 years old, I had herpes zoster shingles. 
Um, it was a, a, a grown person cry, and I'll tell you that. Yeah, and um, that's painful. Oh, it's very painful. Yeah. And so we know well, we can apply capsation um, topically, and it will actually supposedly back when I had it, mm-hmm. you know, 30, oh my goodness, did I say the word 30, 32 years ago, 33 wow. years ago. And um, you apply it and they said, well, it depletes substance P. And substance P is, of course, for the pain side of things. Now we know that CBD also works the same way in part mm-hmm. that the um, capsation does. It works on a TRPV1. And so we thought all the way along, just like with NSAIDs, it works a certain way. Well, we thought cayenne only worked one way, substance P. No, it yeah. also works on TRPV1. Well, so does the endocaminer. So that's a synergy on uh-huh. CBD. Yeah. And so, but at the same time, I'll give an example of a patient of mine. She came in and she had rheumatoid arthritis, diagnosed, autoimmunity ran rampant in the family, type one diabetic child. And she, her thinner area in between the thumb and the index finger was always swollen, always inflamed and always painful. So we did said rate, we did C-reactive protein and they were always normal. She says, how can this be normal? Yeah. It wasn't until we looked at interleukin-6 through a normal chemistry and blood work through Quest Diagnostics, of course, LabCorp and other labs out there mm-hmm. that does the same thing. And we said, oh, wow. So we need to actually use Stefania and we need to use some Boswellia. We had to go for a different mechanism to cap the interleukin-6 pathway. Yeah. So uh, we, we create the foundation that we cater it to, much like building a house, the various rooms and applications for the structure of which we're working with. Yeah, re- really personalize it for that patient and yeah. solve, so, solve their issue. So I look for both synergy and autonomy of different approaches. And now humbling myself, as I said that, onto our current knowledge. So, so this is what CBD does. This is what the turmeric does. This is what Boswellia does. This is what Stefania does that we know currently. Yeah, and later exactly. on we're going to find like the, with the echinacea when we used to give echinacea for colds. That was the thing back in the nineties. Yeah, echinacea, golden seal. Like, who would ever have thought we were working on endocannabinoid system? Like, exactly. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. So st- I think the key here is stay humble and realize whatever we know, we know. But yeah. We don't know a whole lot still. Right. We're going to keep learning. Yes. Yeah. Um. So talk to me a little bit about terpenes. Okay. So you you touched on it a, a few minutes ago, but um. So when you, when you get the full plant, it's got CBD, it's got all these other things in there. Um, what are the terpenes? What do they do? What, how do you, how do you look at those? Yeah. So I, once again, terpenes also outside of the um, cannabis plant, um, there's just a lot of terpenes and we see it a lot of times in essential oils, the linalool and limonene and caryophylline and all of this. And each of those individually have unique properties and leafly.com We'll actually go through those. And so does uh, so do I go through my book, which is free on your site. Mm-hmm. Um, we look at the uniqueness of each application. And so it's bringing X to the functional medicine. The functional medicine meets the patient, but then so does the CBD. And in unison, there's a concert. And mm-hmm. so I often give the example of a large orchestra. There's a string section, the brass section, the wind section, and of course the orchestra leader. In this case, orchestra leader for our conversation, is an acaminoid system, but then all these other things are coming to play in that little tink of the bell or the triangle or mm-hmm. whatnot, or the xylophone adds the dimension to things. So I actually will go ahead and look at a full spectrum CBD whenever possible. Just like I rather use a whole plant extract of echinacea or right. turmeric or whatnot. 
there's benefits without a question. I mean, I've been on a scientific advisory board of a large company, which has a specific liposomal turmeric with UCLA studied that crosses the blood brain barrier and it delivers so much free curcumin. There's a benefit there. Or when we go for like a pomegranate extract and we're saying, okay, well, we need so much pinocollagen in order to be interactive with our microbiome of all things. So pinocollagen from pomegranate interacts with our gastric mucosa and microbiome to create urolithin A. So just like with the endocannabinoid system, our microbiome mm -hmm. allows a plant to become in an active form, OMG. Right. Yeah, it's a whole nother conversation. That's my most recent book was the MMM theory, which is a microbial mucosal milieu theory, which is free on, on Kindle Unlimited um, on Amazon. And so it's free. I'm not pitching anything. And it's like, wow, well, what about all our little microbiomes? And now the endocannabinoid system and the microbiome, there's something called the endocannabinoid ohm. Hmm. And the endocannabinoid ohm actually plays an integral role in maintaining not only an interaction between like lactobacillus and microbiome, but also that it actually creates a microenvironment for all of the cells in our body to work. Wow. And so we start looking at that like, okay, Humboldt again. Yeah. And as we move toward more and more towards AI and computer machine learning, it's like, okay, well, where will that lead us? But we still need to look at our plants around us and whether we look at a forest and um, they've actually looked at forest bathing, for example, and now we look uh -huh. at a plant. And if you and I were to go out in the forest, because we both, in, from our conversation, enjoy going outdoors and so forth, could we survive if there was no bottles of pills? Well, our ancestors did. Absolutely. So wherever your ancestral lineage is, and every listener, wherever yeah. you hundreds and hundreds of years ago, everybody lived before there was the antibiotic. And I'm not picking on antibiotics, but you sure. know, we, we lived off the land and with the land. And so I think a full spectrum plant, whenever you're going to use a whole plant, and I give the example, if I offer you beta carotene, you say, mm -hmm. okay, well, beta carotene is an antioxidant. Hopefully it has some other carotenoids in it. But what would you rather have, a carrot or beta carotene pill? I have a feeling, Rob, you might say carrot. Yeah. No, <laughs> Unless you're allergic. There, there are a couple of studies. There, I think it was a red blood orange study. Um, vitamin C absorption, you know, compared to taking, let's say, 1,000 milligrams of a USP vitamin yes, C. Yes, yes, yes. And because of all the other components, cofactors that are, were in the orange, he had much higher levels of vitamin C after eating the orange as opposed to a thousand milligrams, even though there wasn't a thousand milligrams of vitamin C in that orange. The other example that someone shared with me years ago that I found interesting um, was talking about dandelion as a diuretic. And if you take kind of the standardized aspect of dandelion that was a diuretic, it depletes you of potassium. But if you take the full herb, it has, it's high in potassium. So it's it's interesting how there's this kind of natural balance built into things that we don't understand. You know, it's that whole mystery kind of thing that we've touched on a little bit here today. But I find those time, types of things very interesting. And, and they're brilliant points. I'm glad you brought them up because indeed, staying humble as we tout things. And that reminds me when I was a dean at the Naturopathic University, I interacted a lot with a local MD medical school. And one of the 30-year residents in asthma allergy um, category and it was an immunologist um 30 year resident so you know way along on their training we had a big debate on what was the cause of asthma and i said well there's a correlation with uh, low magnesium levels and bronchospasm and they said no there's not it's all an inflammatory pathway 
we were both correct. And the person actually was big enough to come back later on and say, actually, I went into the research and yeah, you're right. There is a magnesium component. Yeah. But that's the beauty of functional medicine. If we all come and know that we are all humble and we need right. to go ahead and realize that every field of medicine brings something. Absolutely. Like I don't practice Chinese medicine. And yes, I'm trained in four classes in Chinese medicine as part of my naturopathic program um, because I was back in the day. Um, and I'm trained in pharmacology, but I am not a pharmacist and I'm not a big drug person. So if you, a person needs a lot of medication interventions, short-term or long-term, um, I'm going to send them off to an internist that that's all she or he yeah. does in large part. And likewise, I refer to nutritionists, chiropractors, because everybody has a little spot in our field of functional medicine. Whoever's listening, if you're a chiro, you, the research shows and part of an NIH grant, which I was a part of. Mm -hmm. um, the, we were educating the fourth year medical students and the medical school in general um, in Oregon. And they said the neurological exam of the chiropractor was more thorough than the neurological exam of the neurologist. Because you spent four years looking at right. that infrastructure inter and infrastructure. It's like, wow. So once again, I, I just think keeping humble and my hashtag is humane humans for humanity. Like, the more humane we are, and the more we're seeking humanity, and, but that's how what defines us as human beings. Yeah. We're all in a collective together. Absolutely. Well, I, I think, you know, when I look at all these different modalities or types of medicine, they're all, their intention is to heal, right? And they take a slightly different view or how they're coming at it or what their specialty might be. But if we all take a step back and saying, we're here, you know, you're in this profession to make people healthier and that's why all your peers in these different modalities are doing the same thing to be humble and say hey you know what i think you should go see a chiropractor or a pharmacist or whatever it might be yes, someone yes. who's more focused in that one area you've discovered that they're going to benefit from that and uh, that's what i like about this integrative functional medicine space in general is it, it's they are humble and they want to heal the patient and however we get there is how we get there you yeah, know the patient wins we win team win right yeah so they spend a lot of time with their intake and really listening to the patient and it's it's very patient focused patient centric um all right so we talked about terpenes i know we want to talk about um dosage and those types of things but i i think you touched on just in the beginning a little bit about adrenal health and your use of cbd um can you just talk a little bit more about that? Maybe talk about a, you know, a patient not using their name, of course, but, you know, talk to me a little bit about how you discovered that this seems to be something that you've come up with and, and what do you do? Yeah, okay. Well, certainly. And I'm sure a lot of our colleagues have figured this out too. And the, the reality is the, the concept of endocaminoid deficiency proposed by Russo, as well as endocaminoid tone. So if I work a hard life and I have, of course, as healthcare providers, we have the, and level of functional medicine healthcare providers, we hear a lot of sad stories. We become part of the inner sanctum for our patients and mm -hmm. they share usually fairly freely. So we have all the angst that a counselor might hear often, along with seeing the functional aspects of their health, either thriving, surviving, or not either of those two. And we're part of that journey. And so when we look at a cortisol level and we see the AM level, we look at the noon level, the evening level, the nighttime level, we see that gentle curve down, which then of course melatonin kicks up and that's a sleep-wake cycle. But when we become 
worn out at the adrenal level, why would we not think we're wearing out other pathways? So just like we were talking about biochemistry and plants, well, what about the endocannabinoid system? It's receptors, it's driven, and a study on cosmonauts really took this home. So they looked at cosmonauts. So these are trained military folks, just like our astronauts are here in the United States. They're part of that structure of the military system. So they're they're gestalt. They've, they've, they've got their yeah. stuff together. Right. Because you, you can't lose yourself up in space is what I've heard. Yeah. Well, I, I guess you could if you open the window and something might fly out, but that's a different yeah. kind of losing yeah. stuff. And and so they found that the cosmonauts were just steady as one could go on the adrenal glands. They were controlled. They were composed. Mm-hmm. But their endocannabinoid system went wonky. It was the compensatory mechanism because they couldn't mine over matter the endocannabinoid system. They could mine over matter their adrenals. I'm calm, I'm cool, I'm collected. The endocannabinoid system is working in the background in a yeah. huge way as a compelling study. Like, wow, that was a what led them to want to look at the endocannabinoid system? They clearly knew something which the average person didn't know. Right. And so what I will often do is I'll use things like ashwagandha and maca, rhodiola, or maybe a, something like cisandra or ginseng. You know, there's a long list of adaptations, right. or from an immunological perspective, maybe a stragglist. But then I'm going to treat that patient at simultaneously, supporting them with a little CBD, broad spectrum hemp um, product with the terpenes and everything, just to bring balance back to the endocannabinoid system. Lots uh-huh. of our times we'll have a patient and we're doing everything right. And if five of us on this um, podcast all went ahead and said, hey, well, what would you do differently? Well, I do exactly the same thing. It's like, but there's something missing. There's that challenging case, that resistant recalcitrant case. And lo and behold, I have found that CBD, when added to another wise adaptogenic process, works beautifully to rise the ship. And I have a saying, which of course is not my saying, but all ships rise in the harbor with a high tide. Right. And so we just try to nurture the body and the tone. And there is such a thing, I truly believe, and I agree with Russo, endocannabinoid deficiency and a decreased endocannabinoid tone, just like we have a decreased adrenal tone. That makes sense. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about dosage and you know when should your patient be taking. So how do you how do you look at that? Let's say you this patient comes in and they're presenting uh, whatever, t- give me an example and then how how you work with them and, and test out the dosage and where do you start? So in functional medicine over the years, as we've gone, as I've and I've spoken to, we've gone to quasi-pharmaceutical aspects of things. And some of the clinical trials on CBD used up to 600 milligrams of CBD for public speaking. But now when you think about it, to get, a, and I've sat on multiple IRBs, institutional review boards and Delphi panels. It's like, okay, we're gonna propose an intervention. We're gonna spend a lot of money and time going to that intervention. So we have to use a big enough dose that will move the needle. Yeah. So, And then it, and then it comes down to quality. So is that 600 milligrams of just CBD? How was it extracted? What's the bioavailability? What's the delivery mechanism? So there's all these things So not all Right. Supplements, as we all know, the whole audience knows, not all supplements are created equal. And we've learned that the hard way. A patient says, oh, I've tried magnesium. So if we just took them on face value, I tried magnesium without asking, well, what kind of magnesium? Right. Well, magnesium oxide. That's not very bioavailable. It's great for you're constipated. Or, well, I use magnesium citrate, taurinate, aspartate in a blend. I titrated over um, the course of three weeks. And, well, that's a different answer that I tried magnesium. Well, right. So I'm not going to try magnesium. Magnesium doesn't work for that patient wrong answer 
And um, we don't know that. And of course, you can always test and not guess and of course, quantify it with laboratory tests, which is another exciting part of functional medicine these days with so many cool tests to yeah. kind of guide us accordingly. But then what I would say is on dosing, I like to go for a broad spectrum, but I want to make sure that the continuity of seed to, and plant to the manufacturing plant is in one continuous aspect that it's tested before it goes into a plant for a GMP and then making sure it's clean and it's free of everything. And then yeah. it's tested as a finished product. But now thanks to some unique technology, one technology called Bessisorb, it actually has been shown to increase the C-max curve 4.4 fold. So you take this product compared to a normal CBD that's not you know, customized to be absorbed well, you get 4.4 times higher amount. So lower amount, better, but I truly believe nudging, not shoving. Mm -hmm. And so what I mean by that is we take a large amounts of vitamin C, but do we need a large amount of vitamin C? Some people do, some people don't. Some people need a little magnesium, a little bit of B vitamins, but so often we just say, well, if more is better. Right. Unfortunately, we're a westernized culture, supersize meat, mm -hmm. all uh, some of those fast food restaurants. Like, no, more is not always better. Our biochemistry at that cellular level is little millimoles here and there. And so as long as we're absorbing and assimilating it, do we really need to go over the top? Right. And I give the silly example, and anybody that lives along a, a coast and grew up with an unadulterated childhood and got to play in the little tidal pools and so uh -huh. forth, there's something called sea anemones. And sea anemones um, have little tentacles, and they're yeah. usually either green or, or um, orange or um, pink. And But if a little um, clownfish or whatever comes along, it will kind of just tinkle. But if you squish that receptor, it closes down. Uh -huh. And so often, just like when we do hormone replacement therapy, if we go too high, it's like, well, I was really doing well on my hormone replacement therapy and it stopped working. Did it stop working? Or that receptor say, what the heck's going on here? Yeah. I'm closing down. You overwhelmed me. And I think that's where on the recreational side of things, people overdo things. And that's where you get the hyperemesis. You end up in the hospital because you got this, un, you know, and so strangely enough, why does the treatment for hyperemesis say there's CBD in large doses or a hot shower? I mean, how does a hot shower help with hyperemesis and overdoing THC? The body is once again, mysterious. Right. Very true. So as far as dosage, you really, you start, start low. And start low, just... go slow. Yeah. And once again, see if it is sustainable. Plus, honestly, um, in today's world of high inflation, I won't say hyperinflation, that was another um, era and hopefully we never reach there, but Great. things are so expensive. If we can get the job done with a small dose. Right. Now, I will say the time which I'm more cautious on the low dose, obviously, is antimicrobials, just because we don't want to have a drug resistance. I don't right. want to have an herbal resistance. So sometimes you have to go in there and just get it done. Yeah. And at the same time, if a person is super anxious, I'm going to go start with a much higher dose. Sure. And But once again, is it the 4.4 times higher bioavailability like with Vesisorb? Mm -hmm. And once again, it's quality of the product you're using. Right. If I'm using a simple tincture of echinacea opposed to a, an extract that has XYZ active constituents, I might do a higher dose. And mm -hmm. In herbal medicine, often we underdose on, let's say, tinctures or clisterites. Mm -hmm. And we need to actually crank it up a little bit because we got the whole plant, but we don't have a whole lot of any single constituent. And we might be doing that quasi-pharmaceutical side of things. Makes sense. Um, that's great. So, uh, and would you say a large percentage of your patients, you'll integrate CBD into their treatment plan or is it just 
maybe adrenal deficiency or um, you know what 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 are the types of cases where you look to CBD to be part of that treatment plan? I would say about half of my adrenal patients, definitely insomnia. Um, I'll add along with melatonin and maybe some essential oils to help them mm-hmm. stay calm and chillax. And maybe some L-theanine. I am a huge fan of L-theanine because yeah. it helps with that sympathetic, parasympathetic, along with the alpha waves. Mm-hmm. And so I would say that sleep, anxiety, stress response, and just staying calm, cool, and collected. Mm-hmm. And also immunological and anti-inflammatory. Those are the big five. Yeah. Immune. And there's a whole category of immune and its applications. And of course, a pharmaceutical company like GW Pharmaceutical, of course, has gone into this unique seizure model as well sure. and that whole neurological pathway and that's a very very high dose right to, to get it's, it's a pretty pretty high dose and yeah. so the, the key here is once again meeting the patient where they're at and creating and i've learned this over the 32 years of practice a sustainable wellness program that they can sustain for a long period of time right and it, it sounds like you also like to try to build up kind of that foundation for the patient you know it's it's not just Hey, you're going to take this high dose of CBD. It's going to solve everything for you. There's probably some underlying issues that you can help, you know, support in other ways. Um, to me, that's that sounds like what you've been talking about a little bit. Yeah, and from a philosophical perspective, a decade ago in New York, I asked this question to the audience. I was lecturing on genetics and epigenetics, and I said, "It was seven o'clock in the morning, New York time. I'm a West Coaster, so it was like four o'clock my time, right?" Yeah. I says. And of course, I have this wonderful hairdo, aka bald. And I said, well, I woke up early to do my hair for y'all. You know, some extemporaneous speaking warm up the 7 a.m. crowd. I said, it took a long time for you folks to get in here. Some of you are probably tired. I says, and I might be tired too. I flew in at 11 p.m. the night before. Yeah. And I says, how many cells in my body have to be tired before I perceive tired? Is it a hundred cells, a thousand cells, a million cells? I mean, because, you know, we're made of some... 37 trillion cells plus. And I said, and is that adrenal? Is that brain? Is it? I said, I don't know the answer. How many cells in my body must be tired before I perceive tired? Let's say, let's imagine if a puppy woke us up at 2 a.m. How many cells in my body have to be tired before I perceive tired? And how sleep deprived do I have to be? And so I, nobody came up with the answer. I said, and I don't know the answer. So I'm staying, I said, I'm starting to talk humble. I said, I'm going to lecture on genetics and epigenetics in a moment. And I know quite a bit about that unto what we currently know. I said, let me ask you a simpler question. How many cells in my finger, and I have my index finger, have to hurt before I perceive it hurts? Hmm. And then I said, of course, I can take Tylenol and Cinnaminophen. I can take ibuprofen. I can put acid, white willow on it. I can take Arnica. I can, I can. I says, but have you ever had a big cut, like in a kitchen knife? Like, well, there's a lot of blood, but it doesn't necessarily hurt. But then you get a little paper cut, and oh, oh that's yeah. a dinner. Yeah. So, but, so is it more cells or less cells? that for you to really have a finger that hurts. And then I says, well, could I just remove the splinter and wouldn't that a lot, a treat the cause? And always going back to the cause, how did that patient get there? And often it's a combination of things. They were stressed, they were in a challenging relationship, they're worried about their kids, they have loss, and they were born with a catecholamethyltransferase gene on polymorphism or MTHF. So identifying what's made them susceptible, addressing the cause, and then slowly backing out of the ditch. <laughs> Love it. Um, well, let's see. With, is there anything else that we want to talk about here today uh, regarding CBD? Um, well, I think you'd mentioned uh, you'd actually received the call from a colleague recently, maybe yesterday, um, 
that uh, one of his patients was having a reaction to CBD. Yeah. And actually, it was actually the colleague themselves. And so they know I write a lot and lecture a lot on this topic. And they said, they said on a text, hi, kind of bashful. I said, hi, back. And I know this colleague well. And it's just, I had the worst. And so then they start unloading. I, I was dizzy. I was disassociative. I had just taken a CBD um, that night because I was feeling stressed and uh, my heart was racing. And I'm saying, that's not CBD. CBD is a non-psychoactive. It has psychological benefits, but it's not going to be that euphoric thing. And uh, when they're youth, they had done a lot of recreational um, items. So mm -hmm. they knew what that was. I said, no, you had a lack of quality control product there. Clearly it was some psychoactive, yeah. well below the 0.3% TAC limit for a hemp CBD product. And once again, that uh, shows the importance. Our patients count on us to vet what we're taking. And they picked up a random CBD and they took it and clearly... They had a psychoactive experience as though they were tripping hard. <laughs> and no pun well, intended. I, I think you're right. I mean, I think with not just CBD, but yeah. all the products, right? I mean, oh. you know, you, you talk to, like, I'll talk to my parents sometimes like, well, yeah, this, you know, fish oil, vitamin C, whatever was, was $5 at the, at the pharmacy. Oh, I hate why that. is this one so expensive? And I was like, well, there's a reason why good products are more expensive, whether it's a supplement or anything else for that matter. But I do think that's why it's important for a patient if you want them to, you know, stay on the plan, the protocol you put together, use the products that you're prescribing. You know, these are the ones that you trust, you know how they work, um, and you're more likely to get the outcome you're looking for if, if the patient follows your protocol and uses the products in most cases that you've recommended. Lots of wisdom, lots of savvy there, because lots of times the patient's doing well, and then all of a sudden they decide they're going to start shopping around the products and the protocol's not working. So are you doing everything on the protocol? Yeah. I said, well, can you bring in all the balls? I just want to review them. And we're like, well, yeah, I found that one at, I says, do you know that the, because I formulate for 14 different companies, so I have a good sense of what raw ingredients. I said, just the bottle, the label, and the capsules, whatever's in it, CoQ10 is more than $5 for 90 pills yeah. at 100 milligrams. I said, right. so that's not a financially feasible to actually deliver it. And so you're getting something other than, or somebody's feeling really benevolent and they're giving away basically free CoQ10. Probably not happening in today's world. Not happening. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, that's a very good point. Um, okay. So we we did talk about delivery mechanisms, absorption, and things like that. You mentioned Vesisor, which I know there's, when I was running alternative therapies, we we published a study, I think it was their CoQ10 um, that used Vesisor, but the, the absorption levels on that. So I think that's good to know. Um and of course, there are other good CBD products out there, but that's one that- Oh, that oh without have. a question. Yeah. There's, yeah. there's great products out there. And I, the thing is, we've all found products that work in our uh, in our practices. Right. And the thing that's most frustrating when a sales rep comes to us, like, well, I can switch out your products for you. Like, um, I know these work. I know the dose is necessary. And so I become very loyal. So as a right. result, in my standing pharmacy, I have some 25 different brands, a little of this, a little mm -hmm. of that. And we find what works. And my philosophy is I tell my patients, if I want to give it to my wife or my kids or my parents, it's not going to be on our pharmacy. Right. Yeah, 100%. Well, great. So this was, I think, a great uh, a great show. You, you've covered a lot of really amazing information for the audience here. Uh, is there one kind of clinical pearl around this topic that you want this audience to walk away with? 
one thing you want them to think about regarding CBD or endocannabinoid system? Um, we have to realize that the human body, mind, body, and spirit is far more complex than we appreciate and are able to even grasp. And just like what we thought a hundred years ago, we kind of had it all figured out. Um, and that we need to just get back to the basics. And as functional medicine is being challenged to become more quasi-pharmaceutical, we just need to keep it to the basics, diet and lifestyle, and you supplement a good diet and lifestyle. And then mindfulness. In today's world, what we experienced all as a collective, the COVID era, which I'm hoping is done, and it added an undue amount of stress and worry, forgetting whatever virus might have been flowing around, but just the collective experience of right. isolation and fretfulness and the news feeds. And it, as a result, some of the health consequences that we're seeing now and the mental health challenges are due to the fact that we're not connected. So you know, the concept of what, God bless him, um, Stephen Sinatra lectured in Florida right before I did many years ago. And of course he's passed now, but he was talking about earthing. And I was the next person on stage, but because it was a big stage of a thousand people, um, we had to have the little Michael Jackson clear tube, uh, maybe it's Janet Jackson, clear tube um, wired up. So I listened to his talk. And the next day, about maybe 100, 150, um, mostly medical doctors at A4M conference, they were out walking into Florida crabgrass because he talked about how the port isn't staying connected yeah. with the earth. Yeah. So I think staying grounded, immersing yourself in nature, and losing our technology as frequently as we can is probably one of the best gifts we can ever do. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, I think about uh, you know lifestyle medicine. You know, lifestyle. Your lifestyle is your medicine, and it's either going to be good medicine or bad medicine. So if you're doing all the right stuff, you eat well, you're getting outdoors, you're meditating, that's good medicine. And if you're eating processed food and watching your cell phone all day long and not connecting with your friends and family, that's bad medicine. And it will have an impact on your health in ways that could probably be measured, I'm sure. But um, oh, without, without a question, leaving the cell phone away from the dinner table. And when you have human beings in front of you, there's no need for a cell phone unless you're on an emergency call. Right. Um, you're, you're with the person communing with them. That attitude of gratitude. And we're all familiar with the term TGIF. Thank goodness mm -hmm. it's Friday. Yeah. And the question is, and I live for the weekend. Those are all negative terms. Like, no, how about Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday? Those are also wonderfully splendid days. Yeah. Embrace each day that we're vertical and knowing that as human beings, we can make other people's lives around us better or not. And by making happier humans, we have healthier humans. Yeah. This is great. Well, Chris, really a pleasure having you on the show. Always love talking with you. And, um, We'll absolutely get you back on the show. I know there's some other topics we want to cover in the future, but really enjoyed this one. And um, I'm sure our audience did as well. So thank you so much. Hey, well, thank you for everything you do. You, you have helped our community and our profession and the world a lot. So thanks for all the hard work you do. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for listening to the One Medicine Podcast. I hope you found today's episode interesting and came away with a few insights you can apply to your practice. If you're looking for the show notes, they can be found in the link below want to go deeper on this topic or anything else, please visit todayspractitioner.com and consider registering for our weekly newsletter as well. Thanks again, and I hope you'll join us next time.